0: ideas and that is to be a family in the city. Last week we talked about how the church is actually a new city. Jesus said the church is like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. It is the light of the world. And uh, one of the things I mentioned last week that we, we, you, might, you might recognize is that the city that you live in shapes you. You know, if you grow up in New York or in Boston or in Houston or in Paris or in Moscow, wherever you grow up, That city shapes you. It shapes the way you talk. It shapes your accent. It shapes shapes the words you use. And even your culture and your politics are all all created by your city. And when you come to faith, if you come to faith, if you you join a church, you join a new city that begins the process of reshaping you according to the values and the culture and the language and the ideals of of, uh, God's world. And so the church is a new city that, is a light to the world but it's also a city that reforms and reshapes us and you know everybody at least if you're urban you identify with a particular city that you might find yourself to be a part of unless but but being in a city is not enough in fact being in a city can feel really brutal if you're all alone the irony and the thing that mocks us about cities is you can be surrounded by people you can be getting crowded by people on subway platforms and on the streets during rush hour and yet feel like there's actually nobody in the city who knows my name nobody who would note who notices me nobody who would know if there was something bad that happened to me cuz you know the on the one hand we can be on, anonymous in the city which is why a lot of people move towards cities but on the other hand we're anonymous in the city and so we sometimes don't have the support or the connection that we need, and and while cities can be harsh and unforgiving, what we need is a family, even a family in the city, because you know the family is the place you go where they have to take you in. A family is the place where you can find the support and and the care and the help you need in your time of difficulty, and. Uh, So today I want to talk about what it means for the church to be a church family. And and in Romans chapter 15, he gives us a picture of what that looks like. And that's what we're going to be working off of today. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along or, or in the program, it is printed out there for you. And Paul says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, but not to please ourselves, Let each each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. And now may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So this is a picture here of what God wants the family in the city, the family of the church to look like and how he wants us to function. And the first thing I want you to see here is that a family has mutual sacrifice, and mutual service. We who are strong have to bear with the, the, have the obligation to bear with the failings of those who are weak, and then to follow the example of Christ, who let the reproaches of others fall on him. Because you know, a family, the essence of a family, the heart of a family, is that people help each other out, and the. the the most obvious picture of this is when a baby is born, you know, that baby's existence, that baby's life is absolutely dependent on the people, everybody in that family, reorienting their life around that baby and feeding that baby and caring for that baby and cleaning that baby and protecting that baby and, and making notice of all the needs of that baby. And if a baby doesn't have that, A baby's not going to survive nothing is more weak or vulnerable than a newborn baby but that's and and that's a picture of how a family works you know the hope and prayer of all parents is that one day the baby won't be a baby and you know when your kid becomes 10 occasionally you have to say to the kid stop acting like a baby because we expect you to move on we expect you to make progress and to become a contributing member but but the idea of a family is all about everybody bearing with those who are in need, and that's a good thing about having a family. When you when you get sick, there are people who will be there to take care of you. When you when you get hurt, there'll be there people who are there to help you out. You know, when you get old, there'll be there people who are there to help you navigate whatever challenges you're facing. Because it's a very difficult thing in our life to to manage all of the challenges when we are completely alone. But here's the thing about that. It's not just the practical side. You know, when, when a family is all uniting to care for a newborn baby or to care for someone who's sick or care for someone who is hurt, it's not just that practically they get helped through that assistance. It's also that in that caring, in that serving, a relationship is built. The family dynamic becomes real, that all the caring and the serving creates a glue of sorts right and sometimes some of you might have might have felt this probably the, the greatest example of this is again a little baby how how this little baby just demands everybody's attention demands everybody's help demands everybody wake up and take care of it in the middle of the night if that's what they want you know we wouldn't tolerate that behavior from anyone else but you tolerate it from a one-month-old because you figure that's what it needs but in all that sacrificial service, what happens? The mother, the father, the brothers and sisters are all bonded more deeply and more profoundly to the little tyrant. And somehow, and somehow a family takes shape because as we serve, as we sacrifice, as we as we help someone else, what happens is we, we find ourselves more deeply and more profoundly connected to that person. Because actually, when you, when you help someone, when you serve someone, when you sacrifice for someone, really what you're doing is, is you're making an investment in that person. You're making an investment in that relationship, right? And when you're making an investment in a relationship, then you tend to value it more, and you're hoping that you're going to have a return of a connection. A, con- a real connection with that person. And that's what makes life worth living. That's real actually what life is all about, finding these connections. You know a lot of people go to the city alone, they go to the city and they're shaking off the, bound, the bonds of their family and the expectations of their family and the, and the obligations that come with their family and, and uh, chasing their individual ambition or their individual ideals or just chasing freedom of one sort or another. But, but the, what, what life tells us and what experience tells us is that none of us can stand alone in the long term on our own. All of us need these connections. And, you know, in, in modern culture, we, we elevate the individual. We say the most important thing is what I want to do, what I want to do in my career, what I want to accomplish as an artist, or what I want to what I want to experience as an individual. And what that does is it breaks down those bonds of family, those bonds <clears throat> of relationship that are the basis, the, really the basis for joy, really the basis for happiness, really the basis for security. You know, even just recently those who study society have recognized that, that loneliness and isolation is as much of a health risk as smoking or obesity can be, because it is just as likely to result in long-term chronic problems and to shorten our, life, our, our lifespan as, as other physical maladies. But the promise of the gospel and the message of Christianity is that God has created a new family for us so that nobody has to be alone. And you might be in a situation where your family lives on another continent, or your family might as well live on another continent because you really don't have a relationship. But the hope and the promise and the ideal of the church in this world is that the church becomes a new family, a family in the city, if we'll let it. If we'll commit to it the way people in a family commit to one another, commit to caring for one another, commit to helping one another, commit to serving one another, then the church has the potential to become a family in the city. Because, you know, in, our, in America today, we tend to emphasize the nuclear family, the, the mother, the father, the, the children. But, but throughout most of history, there's been a recognition that, that households are much broader than that, that, that families are, can be extended to people, to relations of, uh, that, that are not as direct but are just as important in terms of our life. And the Christian hope is that when we put our faith in Christ and when we're connected to a congregation, that that can become not just a religious place that we go on Sunday morning, but that can become a family where people know us and where we are known. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews describes the key to this, and he says this, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, and so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Look at that. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means that Jesus is your brother, and that you are a brother or sister of his. And even though you're embarrassing sometimes, and you know how embarrassing it can be to be around you, he is not ashamed to call you his brother and sister. Because see, the sacrifice, that service, that willingness to connect and identify with other people, that generates the glue that makes a family work. That's the investment that we make into those people that we're with that makes that unit valuable. And so God has called us as a church to be a family in the city. And the second thing I want you to notice here is he talks about the hope and harmony that redefine the church. Look at the the next few verses. He says in verse four, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. You know, families are held together by a lot of things. Sometimes it's a common ancestor, you know, grandpa or grandma or mom or dad, and, and, that, and that's, that's the, the basis of our, of our connection. But you need more than just shared ancestry to really become a family. You know, sometimes on the negative perspective, something that binds families together is if everybody agrees on somebody who they don't like. Have you ever seen families like that, that you, you, you talk to them and you realize, really, the only thing that unites these people is they all don't like certain people. And, and that's what, what holds them together. And unfortunately, for some reason in human relations, dislike, shared dislike of somebody can be one of the, the strongest things that glues us together. But the church has a different one. The church says we can be united by hope. He says, through the endurance, endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And it's hope that can unite followers of Christ. Because, let's be real, not everything is good for all of us right now. I mean, I wish we were all healthy and wealthy and happy and, and all of our relationships were harmonious and, and our, all of our jobs were, were successful. But sometimes life's just not that that way and sometimes things are difficult but when things are difficult when we're struggling physically when we're struggling financially when we're struggling professionally when we're struggling with our relationships if we can struggle with hope then we can make it through one of the things that's good about living for a couple decades is you go through some ups and downs of life yourself, and you see your friends and and family go through ups and downs. And one of the things you realize is that if during the tough times you can hang on and hold on to hope and believe that things are going to get better and just keep going, then things will get better. As the saying goes, when you find yourself going through hell, keep going. That's living with hope. And and having hope in the midst of the challenges we face, in the midst of our health setbacks, in the midst of our career setbacks, in the midst of our relationship setbacks, is what keeps us going, helps us to live with joy and live with peace and and, and live in unity with one another. And and see, hope is something that you learn from other people. Because sometimes when, when you're struggling, You see a friend, you see a family member who used to be struggling just like you, but then they got through it. Then better days happened. And it gives you confidence, well, things are difficult right now, but better days are coming. And good things are going to happen if I continue to hold on to hope. And so that's one of the things that the church is is called to be, a, a community of hope. And it's hope that should unite us. In Romans 8, Paul says, Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? Hope doesn't mean that everything's working out. Hope means that it's not working right now, but I believe that it will. And that can, and when you have a community of hope, then you can get through the difficult things that you face. And the other thing he says here is, it's a, a unified family because there's a harmony, because it's a family that's worshiping together with one voice we glorify God see the thing that makes a church family unique is we're not united because uh, we all have the same grandpa or we all have the same aunt or or something like that but with one voice we are glorifying God together you know when we come to church and and if you've never been to church, it might be kind of weird. You come in and people are singing songs. and You're like, well, I don't sing. But, but you know, and obviously a lot of the people here probably ought not to sing too much. But, but we do sing. I'm, I mean, I'm one of those. Uh, we do sing and we read and we pray and we, we look at the word of God together. And what are we doing when we're doing that? It's not just religious duty. It's reorienting our hearts, reorienting our minds, reorienting our souls so that with one voice we can glorify God together. So the church family is bonded together with hope and bonded together with a commitment to glorify God, to worship God. And that can trump if we're, if we're engaged in our hope and we're engaged in worship that can trump the ups and downs that inevitably we're going to face, the ups and downs that are a part of all of our lives and can help us live with joy and live with faith in the midst of all of those difficulties. So the the church family is a family of service and sacrifice. It's a family of worship and hope. And the third thing I want you to see is it's a family of welcome and mission. He says, last verse there, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. You know, families can be closed systems. You know, in, in every city, it seems like there's some families that that have uh, tentacles into almost every area of life. They own restaurants. They own, they own contracting companies and, 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 and real estate. And they're landlords. And they have somebody who sits on the city council who's been there forever and these these large extended families that that kind of seem to control things and and you know the thing about those families often is if you're not a part of that family you're not you, you don't count you won't be admitted and and you know the only way in is you got to marry one of their daughters or something like that but uh, but families normally are kind of a closed system cuz obviously if 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 you create a family by people who share a last name or or by people who are all related to a certain grandfather, then not everybody is included in that. But the church in the city is to be a welcoming family, a family that is willing to let other people in. In fact, a family that's willing to look for other people who can be brought in. It's an open door because anybody can discover the same hope that we have. Anybody can worship the same God that we have. And anybody can join us in service. And everybody needs to be served in various ways. And and so the church at its core needs to be a welcoming family that creates space at the, the table where there's always room for more, where the message of, of the church is that our table is always open for more people to sit down. And that's why one of the functions of the church is to reach out, to be involved in community outreach, to be putting out an invitation to those who are lost and lonely and those who are alone, that there is a place, there is a family where you can come and you don't have to be an orphan if you'll come home to the church. And 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 this is this is of the heart of the church's mission and it's one thing that should set the church apart from other families and other organizations in our in our community because the Christian faith, followers of Christ should be welcomers above and beyond all else. And the reason for that, it goes back to what makes us followers of Christ. It's because we've received the welcome of Christ. It says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. Remember what the gospel is? Maybe you've heard the story before, but it's about the father and the son were in heaven, and they decided they wanted to expand their family. And so, so the son said, well, I would like to have other brothers and sisters. And so he came from heaven to earth to redeem us and to call us to himself. And, but to do that, he had to share his status with us. He said, well, God has one begotten son, but he can have lots of adopted children as well. I want to share my status as a child of God with everybody who will put their faith in me. And he invites us to be to share in his inheritance as well. Romans 8 says that we are co heirs with Christ. The inheritance of Christ or the whole universe is something that belongs to us as well as those who are his brothers and sisters. And he invites us to pray like he did. Before Jesus came, people prayed to God as God or to God as Yahweh or something of that sort. But Jesus said, From now on, my brothers and sisters, When you pray, this is how I want you to pray. Pray, our Father who art in heaven. And so he's inviting us to to claim the same status that he has as one of God's Son. And Jesus' mission as he walked this earth was to offer a welcome to all those who felt unwelcomed. And that's what made Jesus suspect to a lot of people who are looking on. They're like, you know, if this guy was really close to God, if he was really holy, he wouldn't hang around with those people that he's hanging around with. In Luke 15, there's one of the incidents where it says, sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that was supposed to be an insult. They thought they were insulting him, like obviously he's not a holy man. Look at the unholy people that he hangs around with. And... And they thought they were delegitimizing him, but actually Jesus says, you guys are starting to get it. That is what I am. That's a compliment. That's what I came to do, to welcome sinners and eat with them. You know, everyone wondered, why does Jesus do that? Everyone was surprised that that people who weren't religious and didn't have it all together were attracted to him. And uh, he caught a lot of flack for his for his openness to people and his willingness to welcome everybody to him. And you know, there's a challenge for the church too is to become a welcoming community. That's not easy. It's not natural. To be welcoming means you've got to share. To be welcoming means you've got to reserve places. To be welcoming means you've got to inconvenience yourself. It's not natural, but it's supernatural. Because the heart of the gospel, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ, is you're someone who has received the welcome of God. And the real challenge for all of us, the real difficulty in the Christian faith is not so much to learn how to welcome others, it's to actually come to believe that Jesus welcomes you. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your welcome to each one of us. And I pray that you would help us come to a place where we can actually believe that we have received that welcome. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.